XV Planus is a part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. Welcome to XV Planus. Greetings, friends and fiends, and welcome back to XV Planus, the podcast where we don't just talk about the paranormal, we put boots on the ground and pursue it in the field. Transmitting from the Black Lodge, as always, I am your host, Flood, and as always, I am very excited to be back here to dive further into the unknown, the enigmatic, and the just plain weird with you all. Tonight, we're going to slide into the next destination from my winter trip through the Deep South, and that would be the historic Washington State Park in Arkansas. We're going to dive into that here in just a moment, but first, a few updates. First up, we have opened our Discord server to the public. You can find a link in the show notes and get connected with us there to talk about all things high strangeness. And every other Sunday, you can join us for Paranormal Potluck, a bi-weekly open forum Discord discussion get-together where we hang out and discuss the most recent news of the strange and unusual. The next Paranormal Potluck will be taking place on our server Sunday, April 23rd at 8 p.m. Eastern. While we welcome all to join us, please be sure to read the server guidelines and rules. We aim to make this a safe, inclusive space. In short, don't make me regret opening the floodgates. Pun definitely intended. Next up, in the upcoming months, I'll be doing an episode on EVPs, or Electronic Voice Phenomenon, for the uninitiated, where we will explore some of the more interesting pieces of anomalous audio I've picked up over the years with a special guest who will be bringing submissions of their own. Since we decided to do this, I'm wondering if any of you out there in our audience happen to have any EVPs that you've picked up over the years and you'd like to share for review. I will be offering a small segment in this upcoming episode showcasing listeners' evidence, so if you think you have a good one, send me the audio file and a brief description detailing the events surrounding the recording to xvplanus at gmail.com. Please be sure to only use MP3 or WAV file formats for the audio and put EVP in the headline. Lastly, our Patreon-exclusive series, Transmissions from the Void, has been gaining traction for the last few months, and many of you have shared some truly fascinating, heartwarming, and sometimes frightening experiences with me. I want to sincerely thank each and every one of our contributors to that series, and to know that we have created a platform where you feel safe, confident, and supported enough to share your stories means the world to me, our guests, our supporters, and everyone here in the XV Planus family. I am always seeking submissions for this candid, off-the-cuff interview series, and I will extend this invitation once again. If you have ever experienced something strange or unexplained, and maybe you've never had the right outlet to share or discuss it, please consider sharing that experience with us. If you have any interest in being a guest on Transmissions from the Void, email me at xvplanus at gmail.com and put TFTV in the header. And speaking of our Patreon, our subscribers can expect a special episode next week featuring the one and only Richard Haddam derailing a perfectly designed outline I had by asking all of the right questions. Those of you listening on the main feed can expect an extremely redacted version of that madness a little bit later this summer. Alrighty, I think that pretty much wraps up our house cleaning, so let's get back to the journey, shall we? My southbound holiday trip took me to quite a few interesting places, some familiar, some strange and new, and the journey itself was certainly in no shortage supply of interesting people. 
Old friends, new friends, history and the future colliding in many ways, and so on. One of the first stops in my trip was to meet up with an old friend and a regular collaborator here at XV Planus, Jamie Patterson. You probably remember Jamie from her contributions on our Waverly Hills series. And if you haven't heard those yet, you should probably go back and check that out very soon. Well, in the late summer of 2022, Jamie suggested that I put a location on my radar and look into it. And since I was heading back down south for the holiday season, I thought, eh, why not? Well, the full explanation on how and why we ended up there, and the experience that followed, is best saved for our second installment of this series. But for tonight, in true XV Planets fashion, we're going to do a little dive into the rich history that blankets the hidden gem that is Washington State Park, Arkansas. By near serendipitous circumstances, while I was on location, I was lucky enough to cross paths with an individual who happens to know quite a bit about Washington, as well as some of the anomalous phenomenon known to inhabit the darker corners of it, Michael Terrell. Michael was kind enough to give us a brief tour through the streets of this small town, sharing the history as we wandered along, and also offered quite a bit of insight to the folklore and some of the less documented history. While I went to Washington for one specific spooky reason in particular, I was lucky enough to have this conversation with Michael who opened my eyes to a whole other side of Washington, and I gotta tell you folks, I really hope to go back. And tonight I am very excited to have Mike on as a guest to tell us a little bit about that same history that we discussed while I was in town. We're gonna get to that conversation here in just a moment, right after this brief message from our friends at the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. Epic history. Like the Greeks are like on the beach, they're like doing burpees or something. <laughs> the Persians sail up and they've got like they've got like little spears and pomegranates and stuff, and they're like, hey, wanna be part of our cool empire? In-depth commentary. Cutting edge expert drunken analysis. <laughs> two people that you don't know anything about. It's ad hoc history with Asher and Luxa. Siblings extraordinaire. Hey, just real quick, like, if you were emperor, would you choose me as second emperor? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. Learning. It's not pretty. It's not nice. And if you want to talk about justification for war and all these things, but when you get to how the sausage is actually made, this is it. It's ad hoc history. It's not the history podcast you wanted. It's the history podcast you deserve. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. It was kind of serendipitous that you and I met, and uh, you you gave us a really, really great tour of Washington while we were there and gave us kind of a rundown on the history. So whenever we decided to pick this as our second installment of Season 3, I wanted to reach out to you and see if you'd be able to offer some some insight to it. Uh, but before we get diving into that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Um I am originally from uh, Texas, and I've lived in Arkansas now for about 25 years. Um, I have a degree in uh, general education. I've worked here at Historic Washington State Park for going on 13 years now, 
but I've been doing historical interpretation uh, 19 years. And um, Historic Washington, uh, basically, whenever I discovered this place, my heart just kind of took roots here. And uh, it's actually located um, just about 30 miles out of Texarkana, Texas, or Texarkana, Arkansas, because Mm -hmm. that's where the state line is today. And uh, if you're heading towards Hope on I-30, you would take the first exit, and it's just about nine nine miles from Hope. Um, But in any event, uh, the the park itself, it was formed in about 1973. That's when the the Department of Parks came out. And um, if we go back further in time to when Washington really got established, though, it was a really long time uh, in the past. About 1821 is when it was incorporated. And um, at that point in time, I'm sorry, not 1821, 1824. I get my wires crossed sometimes. Uh, It was in 1824 that it was established and incorporated. But uh, even at that early state of its uh, development, uh, you had people moving here from all over. And um, this is during territorial times. So it's before Arkansas was a state. Uh, if you think about the ecosystem was different during that time. There were panthers and bears and wolves, oh my, all out <laughs> in the woods. So uh, there were also hardly any roads. Uh, transportation was, you know, something that was hard. Uh, there were no levees in certain places. So people that traveled from Tennessee, Kentucky, Georgia, you know, places like that, even Pennsylvania to Washington in the early 19th century, they got here probably in, in Washington and were very grateful to be in a civilized community. It's actually uh, also sits uh, in an area where there used to be a Native American trail. And in my personal opinion, I feel that that's kind of what got Washington started. Uh, there was a Methodist campground uh, stationed um, just a few miles out of Hope, and it was called the Ebenezer Campground, and um, it was sponsored by Reverend Stevens, and we believe that he was there to Christianize the Indians in the area. As people came along, they started going through here, through this trail, which actually, about 14 miles to the west, a person would actually arrive at the the Red River is what we call it today. Mm-hmm. But the Caddo Indians used to call it the Catahoochee. Uh, but it was the great uh, river raft. You could cross that barrier at certain points in time and be in Mexico and then later the Republic of Texas. The early stages of Washington's history, it was like a frontier before you went to a whole different country. Mm. Kind of like a crossroads, not only for uh, settlers and and soldiers, but also Native Americans, too. Like, they built it adjacent to a Native American crossroads, basically, right? Absolutely. Okay. The the trail that we call the Southwest Trail or O-Military Road, um, and this this is another connection to Native Indian history. Um, When the Choctaw and Chickasaw were being made to leave their, their, their homes... Uh, that trail was one of the transit uh, systems that they used to get to the southern parts of Oklahoma. And so this is that's also one of the Trail of Tears. Today we call it 195, though, 
And uh, But many years ago, it held many different names, but was like the interstate of the 19th century. Um, and then, you know, talking about people that traverse that road that uh, have some national notoriety, uh, Stephen F. Austin and his father Moses, uh, they came through here and even helped uh, with the partial development of Fulton, which is again is about 14 miles to the west. Then you had uh, Sam Houston come through here in the early 1830s. That's right, yeah. I mean, just names that, you know, are ingrained in our American history. Uh, Davy Crockett, James Bowie. This is the home of the Bowie knife where it was made. Yeah, that's that's true, right? This is the original site of the first forging of that particular style of blade, right? Absolutely. And there's a whole story to that. Um Basically, Bowie comes through uh, Washington in around 1831 circa, and uh, he hears about the skill and craftsmanship of a man named James Black. James Black, he had a hard life, but um, I won't go and digress into that. But when he got to Washington around 1824, when Washington became incorporated, um, he started making a name for himself. And through his younger years, he acquired skills and um, some of those skills were working with silver. Um, he uh, was a silversmith. He also had an ability to temper steel to where it would bend so far without breaking. And if it, if it was a blade, it would actually hold its edge really well. And so if you think about that, uh, during the frontier times, having a good you know, blade was a necessary thing, Absolutely. especially if you had a gun and you shot it. It wasn't just like bang, bang, bang. You know, you had to reload your gun with powder, put your mini ball in. And <laughs> so if a big old bear was coming at you, you better take out your knife. You've got one shot and then you've got your knife and that's pretty much it. Yeah. Absolutely. Make that <laughs> count. Yeah. If not, you've got to find some other way to defend yourself. But in any event, um, Bowie heard about the skill that he had and commissioned him to make a knife and the knife that he made is what we call the Bowie knife number one. And today, it's Arkansas State knife. More often than not, you would find blacksmiths who specialize in, like, one type of metal or one type of craft. So finding somebody who knows to work with multiple different types of metals and um, you start going into tempered steel, like, that's that was a rare uh, commodity back then or a rare skill to have. It, it really was. Yeah. And... Uh, the ability that he had to manipulate that metal, I mean, it's it's been put in literature. It's it's We're talking about it right now in 2023. Mm -hmm. So that, that man made a name for himself. And actually talking about the Bowie Knife, August the 21st and 22nd of this year, uh, of this month, which is April, we're going to have our second James Black Bowie uh, Heritage Festival and Doug Makata and Forged and Fire will be here. Plus, uh, there will be some master bladesmiths and uh, vendors selling their wares. We will be sure to have those links in the show notes for everybody. And I, I seriously suggest to anybody who is in the area, if you get the chance, go for some of the events. Just go on a whim. The, uh, the, the park is absolutely gorgeous. And we're going to talk about the odd story about how we ended up there and why I love it so much a little bit later in this series. But... We're going to stick the history here for a little bit. Well, anyway, those are some starting points of 
what started drawing people to this area. And um, another thing, uh, here in Washington, there are seven artesian springs. So, you know, when someone is looking for a place to live, resources are important. And so there was water here that people could drink. Also, uh, the soil here is very fertile. And later in Washington's history, um, that was one of the main socioeconomic products, cotton, what built this area. It was one of those cornerstones. So, mm-hmm. um, And then you had this all these movers and shakers like General Granison Delaney Royston, who came from Carter County, Tennessee. His house is still here today. It was built in 1845, but uh, he originally came to Washington around 1832 circa. And um, anyway, he was an attorney, and he, uh, as he uh, set up shop here in Washington uh, a few years after, he started dabbling in politics. And right after he got married in 1835, towards the end of that year, he, he was elected a delegate to the Constitutional Convention in Little Rock to help make Arkansas a state. So um, he got to sign the first Arkansas Constitution uh, a few years later, he was elected Speaker of the House over the General Assembly. And then last, uh, in his later life, he was president of the Reconstruction Convention in 1874. So, um, you know, that's an, that's just one of many important people here in Washington. Um, one other I'd like to kind of point out is um, Augustus Garland. Uh, he actually married uh, a Sanders uh, you know, a lady by the last name of Sanders, who was the daughter of the county clerk of Washington, Simon T. Sanders. Uh, he was county clerk for about 30 years here. But his daughter married Augustus Garland, who um, actually post-Civil War became governor of Arkansas. And then under President Grover Cleveland's uh, first cabinet, became attorney general for the United States. Oh. So okay. there's just all sorts of... Uh, individuals like that that spent time and had passed here in Washington. But um, really how it developed into a park was um, there was a local chapter, the UDC, that had heard and seen about the disrepair happening to our 1836 courthouse. Which is, uh, the, the courthouse is the main office where where the it, it's located. Like that's the hub of the city right now, right? That's a that's a good guess, but actually we have two courthouses here. Oh, sneaky, sneaky. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the one that you arrived to is or were at is our visitor center, and it was built in 1874. But the first one here um, was built in 1836, and uh, it was the seat of Hempstead County for about 40 years. Uh, but during the Civil War. It actually, uh, for the last two years of it, it was the Confederate capital for the Confederate state of Arkansas. And um, with that history there, and then later years in the early, after the turn of the century, when the UDC saw that building becoming in disrepair, they wanted to fight for it and to also get some money to restore it. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was headed by a lady named Charlene Moss, and she and this group of ladies go to Little Rock, and they get up there at the Capitol, and they lobby to have funding uh, uh, provided by the state to restore the structure. And it was some 
not it was some of the first state appropriations ever given out to restore a historical structure in Arkansas. So that tells you how important that one building is. So uh, they were appropriated $5,000. Now, if they had waited towards the end of the year of 1829, that's when the recession hit. And that's probably, if they waited that long, they may not have gotten that money. But they did. And then they started charging for tours. And then progressively over a period of time, about 1958, you had two gentlemen that lived in this local area and uh, they knew that there was going to be an interstate uh, built eventually. They had also been to Colonial Williamsburg and seen, you know, the history there. And they knew about the history of Washington. They also felt that they could bring this community back to life. It was uh, a Talbot Field and Judge Pilkington. And uh, they got together and formed an organization called the Pioneer Washington Restoration Foundation. And uh, about 1950, uh, 1958, they were uh, given a property called the Block Cats Home. And it's actually the oldest house in the park. It was built around 1832 circa. And it belonged uh, to first, first a man named Abraham Block, who on record, he and his family were some of the first Jewish immigrants to move to the Arkansas Territory. And then later, uh, there was another family that lived there, the Katz family, and uh, they were the ones that uh, donated that property to the Pioneer Foundation. But um, if you progress up to about the 1970s, um, the, the park had grown so with that organization that to since they were privately funded to take care of everything, it was becoming you know, hard for them to keep up with all, all the maintenance and so forth. So that's when the, the Department of Parks comes out, and that's when uh, there's a coalition of those two entities to keep uh, Historic Washington going with its history. And one of our main missions here is at the park is to preserve, protect the history of 19th century Washington, and we emphasize its cultural and architectural restoration history. And um, that's what we do with the buildings that are here. We try to preserve them for future generations and also the history that was accumulated here in its early uh, beginnings. We try to keep that going as well. So um, today uh, you still have those two entities here and that's what makes the park up. Plus you have one more entity, which is the citizens of Washington. Hmm. So that's what makes this area up at this very present. Yeah. It's a very, very interesting place. And, and I cannot encourage people enough to go there. Like for, for whatever reason, like obviously I, I went there for the spooky reasons and we'll get to that here in a little bit, but even just uh, going there just on a whim, just to take a break, go somewhere quiet, peaceful. It's, it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, but speaking about Washington, like as a, a, a a physical being. Can we talk about some of the uh, the the major historical buildings that are still there? The the ones that, uh, um, like, you have the school, you have the blacksmith shop that's still standing. You mentioned the uh, with the the block house. I'm gonna have pictures for all of these on the show notes for this, so you people know exactly what we're talking about. Um, 
but there's there's some interesting buildings there than just one or two. Uh, can we talk about those for a minute? Absolutely. So um, the the uh, oldest building, like I mentioned, is the Block Cats Home, and uh, again, it was built in about 1832 circa. And um, then you also have the Royston Log Cabin. Now, um, that actually used to belong to General Royston, but it was on his plantation, which was in Marlbrook, Arkansas. And it was relocated to Washington uh, about 1980-ish or so, uh, because that was the site of where his law office used to be. And um, we also have... um, the, his house that's still here, it was built in 1845. Uh, Simon T. Sanders, who I mentioned earlier, his home is here. And a lot of these houses are built in uh, a Greek Revival architecture. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the antebellum years or pre-Civil War times, uh, that type of architecture dominated here in this region. And um, there was there's also federal-style homes, and then you have some Georgian as well. Uh, we have a small uh, building or house that used to be a house. It's what we call the Purdom Home, and uh, about 1850 it was is when it was built, and it used to belong to a Dr. James Alexander Lafayette Purdom, and so uh, he also came from Tennessee as well. Um, others uh, would be the Stewart House. Uh, which is one of the homes that's owned by the Pioneer Foundation. Stewart House. Uh, did did uh did we pass by that one when when I was there? Uh, I believe we may have that one um, is not on the list for tours at the moment, but the outside has been renovated. But the inside, they're still uh, kind of working on that one. Okay. Now, the one that I really like in the part, it's owned by the Pioneer Foundation. It's the Tremble Home Homestead. And uh, it was where um, four generations of Trembles lived. And the house was built around 1847 circa. And um, John Dyer Trimble Sr., uh, who actually had the home built, he came to Washington in the late 1830s. And he was a merchant. He, uh, He owned a mercantile store downtown. And progressively, that's how he acquired um, the bulk of his wealth, and I would have classified I would classify him as a upper middle class individual. Mm-hmm. But uh, everything in that house, as far as furniture, uh, belonged to the family. And you know, to have such a jewel to be able to walk into, it's just like having a glimpse of the past uh, as how the family lived. And um, the pa- foundation it took them about five years to restore the house to the degree it's in now. Uh, Even with the wallpaper, they did meticulous research. There's also what we call faux graining in the home, and we have primary sources that they worked off uh, to recreate that. Uh, But it's it's just an amazing site. Yeah. Uh, And there's others here too. Actually, the house, the building I'm in right now, is an antebellum home that belonged to a, a doctor. Brunson, and um, this house originally was in Columbus, Arkansas, and um, it was built around 1860, and the park renovated it into a uh, wedding venue. Uh, so we just have a lot of, of amazing historical buildings here. Some have been brought in, and some are original to their uh, sites, 
Um, the courthouse that I've, I talked about, the 36 courthouse, it's still there. And again, it was built in 1836. It was like the heartbeat of Washington at one point. And it was the center of town. And um, right across from it, there's a demographic feature that's unique to this area and the state of Arkansas. And it's the oldest and largest Southern Magnolia in, in here in Arkansas. And oh. it was painted in 1839. Oh, wow. So it's like when you walk into it, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie Avatar. Yeah. It it makes you feel like you're in a different world when you're under that tree. It's so huge. I uh, uh, I have seen some pretty whopping big ones in Mississippi uh, growing up there, but uh, uh, maybe not one this large. So I already know that I only experience maybe a third of what uh, what encompasses the entirety of Washington. So I'm going to have to come back sometime in the next year for sure. We we hope so. There's oh. so much. And, you know, we our visitors, um, you know, on an average, when they come through, um, we do have guided tours that we can provide. We also have um, demonstrations that are done like with our blacksmith and other things. We have Surrey rides where you can be driven by horse-drawn carriage to the park. So it kind of so, has a little bit of that living history um, aspect to it, which I love. Yeah. Absolutely. And... Uh, Another uh, interesting place, I know we don't talk about it that much, but um, is our Pioneer Cemetery, and it's part of our park. And uh, the earliest grave that was put down there uh, was in 1825. And um, so uh, it's a cemetery that has headstones. There were some wooden markers down there at one point in time, too. We actually have a few of those in our curatorial department. Uh, but, um, you know, a lot of people, they think when they go somewhere, you know, they don't really think about going to a cemetery. But that one actually has got a lot of rich history to it. All of them do. It's not always about this spooky, you know. Absolutely. But there's just, you know, there's so much to see and do. And a lot of people that come through, they're like, I didn't know y'all had so much here. You know, we, I don't know if we can see it all in one day. And um, a lot of our visitors, they do come back and they want to know more about the history of this area and they want to see it. Yep. And when people can make a personal connection, you know, to something, it makes it memorable for them. And it also helps uh, helps the park as well to continue on with uh, its mission. Hmm. 100% agree. Uh, Dr. John here uh, prescribes at least a two-day stay if you're going to go. Don't go j for just one. Like, stay there for a couple of days. Because we, 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 we all live in such a busy lifestyle these days that if you go somewhere remote, it's going to take at least one day for you to completely unplug and soak in what's going on around you. I'm guilty of this myself. This is why I, I tend to stay several days anywhere I go. But yeah, Washington's something special. I, I art like, you know, like I said, I already know that I didn't get to experience the entirety of it. Um, it connected with me for multiple reasons, which we'll, we'll get to throughout the course of this series. Uh, but it's definitely a good reason to go back. Absolutely. But kind of hinting on what actually got me there to begin with. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is, you know, what is this whole series is about. 
Um, there, there is a, a kind of a spookier side to the tourism that you guys do in Washington. I was wondering if we could talk about that a little bit because it kind of leads directly into some of the things that I'll be talking about. Absolutely. Well, um, through the years, and it's not just in Washington, but it, you know, things happen around the world mm -hmm. that can't be explained. And uh, we've had staff and visitors um, have unique situations happen to them that they cannot explain. And um, it, it's some, sometimes a surreal situation where um, it, it just kind of makes you feel funny. And uh, again, you can't really explain it. Some people have theories on what it is. Some people have tried to explain it scientifically with scientific method. And, you know, we just, we don't know. We, we just, um, I hear stories a lot of people that come through here and, but there's, for instance, um, probably the second year I was working here at the park, I had given a tour to a family. And, um, after I got done with the tour, the, um, um, gentleman the father of the family he was wanting to know where the cemetery was at Terry hmm. and I told him and so you know I thought that was the end of the tour and everything and so forth so um, I started you know doing something else and I was walking around to a different site and then um, all of a sudden I see him drive up and he rolls his window down and I said did did you find the cemetery and he said oh yeah we found it and um he told me that um, uh, that when he was down there taking pictures of headstones, that um, he was looking through his camera, and when he stood up, still looking through the camera, there was a gentleman standing over a grave, and when he put the camera down, the gentleman wasn't there anymore. And I said, okay. And <laughs> he, he told me, you know, I don't believe in ghosts, but... I can't explain what I saw down there. And um, he asked me if anybody else had experienced anything like that. And I told him, I said, well, I've heard, you know, I'd heard stories and stuff, but I'd never experienced anything myself. And uh, he said, well, we're, we're leaving right now. And my <laughs> wife, he, he said that his wife had gotten kind of sick after that. So, um, you know, that that's, coming from our visitors that get that came to the park mm -hmm. and then they're also um we have you know have to have pest control around the park there's a company that comes or used to come out and there was a gentleman that worked for this company and so he would go into the building and spray and you know put stuff down to keep the bugs away and so forth and one day he went into the 36 courthouse and upstairs we actually have a few of those rooms um representing uh, certain things um i didn't mention but the 36 courthouse has it used to be also the uh, masonic lodge the fourth masonic lodge of arkansas oh really which is okay. mount orb lodge and so there are ceremonial um props up there that some of the masons have put in to kind of give it an atmosphere. And um, in the middle of that, that room, there's an altar and then a, a, a voting box. 
uh, you know, with the, the ball, there's like little balls that they would use. They're white or kind of look like marbles. And uh, then there's a black ball. And I've been told if the black ball's in there, you don't get to join. Hmm. Uh, everybody, you know, has to. That's where that term blackballing comes from. But in any event, um, he was in that room, and he said that that box started spinning. And he ran out of that building, and he went up to a ranger and told him what happened. And he said that he wasn't going back in there by himself. <laughs> and so he he it really frightened him, and yeah. he was very serious about it um he also had other experiences like uh at our 1914 school which actually we use as rental property um if you ever want to have a big function um maybe a family reunion a wedding or whatever um that's a building it i think it'll hold up to 40 people at one time it's got wi-fi it also has a conference room showers and restrooms out back but in any case he was in there and he said that he heard talking uh in that building and there wasn't anybody there so that's one person that doesn't uh, surprise me i i i think the next time i come back i'm going to be bringing a larger group of people with me and we may rent that place out for a couple of days to be honest i i think that's going to be the way to go <laughs> well, and you know uh, there the choctaw nation uh, they rewalk this tra the uh, 195, the Trail of Tears, uh, every year to pay their respects to those that didn't make it to Oklahoma. And they always usually stay here in Washington at night, uh, and they stay in the 1914 school. Um, and the reason why they stop here is because when their people were coming through this area, this was one place that they were able to get resources and help medically and clothing and so forth when others would actually you know turn their backs on them so um they stay the night here and um one day i was talking to one of the the leaders and uh, she said that they were sleeping in that in that building and uh, they were getting ready to go to sleep and one of the girls heard a man whispering in her ear and then a moment later uh, she said a couple of them saw um, an Anglo man standing in the room and laid on the bed and then disappeared. Hmm. And she told me this herself. And, um, I mean, it, 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 it's just very interesting. And I don't know what it was. You know, maybe it could have been fog looking. I don't know. I don't know what it was. But um, her story was very, very real, uh, the way she was telling me. And we also have a, a program called Washington After Dark, and usually October. And it gives our visitors a perspective of historic Washington State Park at a different time, you know, of the day. And, you know, everybody sees it in the daytime, but at night, you know, they didn't have electricity in the 19th century. So when we go in these buildings that are original to their sites, sometimes we go in with oil lamps or can candles or candle lanterns, mm -hmm. and it gives that atmosphere of how people of the past would have experienced nighttime. But um, we also generally talk about 
some of those unexplained happenings as well. And um, this past year, the the lady I was just mentioning uh, with the Choctaw Nation, she was on that that program with us, and she asked me when we got to the 1914 if she could personally tell her experience of when her people or when they came through here and stayed the night there. And I said, absolutely. And so um, when she relayed that story, you know, again, and hearing it for the second time in that building, it just kind of made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. (laughs) It it kind of, you know, one of those moments. But um, uh, there's there's just been all sorts of things uh, that people have experienced. Um, There used to be a lady that worked in the 1974 courthouse, and uh, she heard footsteps walking on the second floor a lot. Um, uh, that's that's a common thing uh, that a lot of people hear are footsteps. Now, these buildings are so old, and the wood moves and the ground moves. So, um, you know, I'm not saying everything might be that. <laughs> it could just be shifting in the building. But I tell you what, when you're by yourself, and you're in a big big building like that, it makes you feel kind of funny. Um, also, John, where you stayed at uh, when you came down at our jailhouse, mm-hmm. it's a, a new addition to our park. It's a lodging, and the jail actually was the Hempstead County Jail from 1874 up until 1939, and it coincided with our courthouse, the, the large two-story one. And uh, when the seat of Hempstead County moved to Hope, where it's at now, then um, it was used as a, kind of like a, um, a homeless shelter for a little while. Then there were several people to purchase it. And the last person that owned it and lived there, uh, that the park purchased it from, um, he had even shared stories about the jail with us. Hmm. And one was... Um, he was actually reading in his library at one point uh, during the day, and he got kind of tired and drifted off. And before he knew it, nighttime had approached. And the book he was reading, he left it open uh, to the page where he had stopped, went to bed. And then the next day, he decided to start reading his book again. But when he went in there into the library, it was no longer there. And so he asked his wife, you know, if she had got his book and moved it somewhere. And uh, she didn't know what he was talking about. So about a week went by and uh, he he kind of forgot about it. And he decided to go to Hope for something. To uh, And when he went outside to his car, he opened the door up. And guess what? No. His book was <laughs> in the driver's seat. Open to the page that he left. No. <laughs> Open there. to the page. Open oh. to the page. And um, that's, <laughs> that's, that's kind of one of those stories, you know, that you just, you hear and you think that can't be real. But that's what Mr. Stevens told us one time. Uh, also, um, about 2004, um I think it was about 2004, uh, our um, ex- uh, director of parks, we got permission, or the park did, 
to let uh, a paranormal group come out here and do some research. And uh, they were called the Spirit Seekers. I, I don't know if they're still viable today or not, but um, they were given permission to come out to the park and, uh, you know, through scientific method and some other means, they gathered a bunch of data and they came up with the assumption that several of our buildings are are haunted and they used uh, film they also used recordings uh, uh, like EVPs mm -hmm. uh, voice recordings and then uh, they also had with them a lady who uh, specialized in something called auto auto writing automatic and, writing yeah yeah, oh, yeah. I've, I've seen several people use this I don't know a whole lot about it myself, but um, I know that, you know, you ask a question and usually they're able to answer it and writing something down or they're in a trance or something like that. But um, in any case, at the 74 courthouse, they said that there were at least six um, spirits in that building and... Um, they also said that the blacksmith shop had some spirits too. Now, our blacksmith shop—it was—it's not original to its location. It was built in 1960 by the Pioneer Foundation or Restoration Foundation. Oh, okay. Over the years, uh, there has been some unusual things to happen in there with our blacksmiths. Now, um, usually, um, you know, with the blacksmiths we've had in the past. Everything has its place, and if somebody goes in and touch, touches something and moves it around, they are going to know notice. Right, I guarantee you. Uh, so uh, my supervisor, uh, Billy Nations, he used to be the blacksmith here, and um, he has told stories to me about when he was down there. Sometimes, you know, he'd leave the building, come back the next day. And his hammer was turned the opposite direction that he left it in. Uh, and, you know, things were moved uh, and he couldn't explain it. So they started naming this this ghost that was moving things around Andrew. And uh, I don't know if this is a real person or not, but I think they just gave that, that occurrence a name. And um, then we also had... Uh, David White, who used to work here, and uh, he's no longer with us now, but uh, he also told stories about things being moved around. And currently, we have a resident um, blacksmith, Jerry Ligon, and he's also told me some things that are kind of interesting, too, about his tools being moved. Now, there, there's a possibility that someone could go in after hours and just for the heck of it, move something around. But are they staying here all these years doing this? On repeat basis? Yeah, not likely. Unless you got a prankster on the inside somewhere, which... <laughs> However, so, what, what was the name of the guy who actually did the, the metal work on the Bowie knife? James Black. So I'm telling you, if it's anyone, it's the ghost of James Black walking around mocking at the skills of these uh, these new school blacksmiths. I'm like, ha, you have no skills like I do. <laughs> well, you know what that that's a good that's a good idea right there. Uh, 
Now, recent research we have found that Mr. Black's, uh, he had some property just a, a couple of miles out of Washington. But um, where that blacksmith shop is located, um, I don't I don't believe that there was one there. But across the road, there was a man named Gad Bradley, and he was a free black man of color who was a blacksmith who had a forge over there, uh, which is right there in that area. Mm-hmm. So um, it's uh, just a, one of those uh, events that you can't explain, and it's an unknown occurrence. Um, and I, I don't know what it is, you know, I, I, but I would have to see it to believe it myself. And that's how I am. Mm-hmm. And um, I have seen some things here that have disturbed me that I can't explain. Um, one year we were having uh, in November, um, about eight or nine years ago, um, a program called Civil War Days. And it's where we had reenactors out here, and uh, we also had civilian uh, reenactors and campers and so forth. And they were portraying the Battle of Prairie Dien, which took place near Prescott, which is about uh, 13, 14 miles southeast. And uh, that battle took place in 1864, and that was the closest that the Union Army got to Washington. But um, in any case, I was sitting on the porch at the Royston townhouse with my uh, co-worker, and um, out of my peripheral vision, um, I saw a person walking up the hill. It was a man, and he had a black, bl- uh, black frock coat on, a gambler-style hat, and he had cavalry boots. So when I saw this person out of my peripheral vision, my first thought was he's a reenactor and I turned and I was going to ask him how everything was going down the hill. And when I did, there wasn't anybody there. (laughs) I don't know what that was, but it kind of, it was one of those moments where I had to tell somebody. So the young girl that was sitting with me on the porch, I relayed to her what I had experienced and her eyes got as big as acorns. And she said, Michael, right before you told me this story, uh, she said she saw the exact same man to that description. But ex- instead of going up the hill, he was going down the hill. So simultaneously, we saw the exact same thing, but he was moving different directions. I can't explain that. See, I I love this, though, because this is actually becoming a a big theme this particular season. At this point, we've been out to so many locations and had so many experiences that, uh, like, nothing really surprises us anymore. But Mm -hmm. what is starting to surprise me is group interactions with strange phenomena and how everybody, you can have a group of 10 people who all said, oh, yeah, we saw something, or, oh, yeah, something happened. But each and every one of them will describe it in a completely different way. Mm. I don't understand what that's all about. But it's it's where my brain is going with all this. I think there's another piece to the puzzle that we haven't looked at. But that's that's a whole other conversation and a rabbit hole to go down. (laughs) Well, I can tell you, it made me feel good that she did see it. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I was, I was thinking I need some medication or something. Right. <laughs> this is not good. But um, 
I don't know. I don't know what it was, but it was real to me mm-hmm. and it was real to her. And it was a validation, you know, that I wasn't just imagining something. Um, one of the things that we're starting to do here at Historic Washington uh, for the evening program uh, or that Washington After Dark, uh, one of the things that I'm starting to do is um, I'm letting our visitors go into a site and letting them soak up the atmosphere, see what they think about it. And um, I want them to, I'll have a piece of paper that they can write down, you know, what feelings they might get when they go in there. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if they believe in, you know, paranormal stuff or not. But uh, I just want to, to get their impression of what they feel about the house. And uh, they could go in one room and say, oh, this is an ugly room. And boy, that bed is really weird or, you know, things like that. Or they might go into an area and say, this room is cold. There was a funny smell in here, you know. um, And when you have a collaborative of people doing that, like we were just talking about, when they come back out, we'll gather that data. And then I'll start telling them about the the, uh, site's purpose and the history of it. And then we'll compare our notes and see how many pe- people experience the same thing. And that right there, I think, is a unique way also of obtaining, you know, people, what people are experiencing when they're going into a building. I think that is a fantastic idea. This is actually one of the reasons that I love going in blind to places that I'm potentially investigating is, you know, just go in there with a blank slate. I, th- I think if you if if you put too much towards other people's interpretations of it instead of getting your own, you lose mm-hmm. something there. Um, Absolutely, so I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Well, and you know, um, a lot of times we do talk about you know these these stories, and I'm kind of I'm getting aware you know. Yeah, they're, that's what people, most of them come out and want to hear. But for me, the history is important. But what are you experiencing at this moment in time, at this present uh, being inside this building? I want to know how are you connecting to this source here? Mm-hmm. And um, I, th- I think, you know, it's a very valid way of getting a, a, an experience from a, a group or a person. And um, it sometimes lets you know if you're doing something right, sometimes lets you know if you're doing something wrong as well. Um, but um, the per- when a person comes out here in some way, and, and this is anywhere you go, you're going to make a connection in some way. Yeah. Uh, well, and I certainly made one with, with Washington, which, you know, now that I'm moving back down south, my friend, you can probably expect me to uh, to be there. If all goes well, I'll try to make it up there for Washington After Dark this fall. Um, you're not, not going to be too far from me from that point, so. Well, I hope so. And, you know, uh, I've also <clears throat> that a lot of the people that come out here, you know, for that program, program they're educated. They are people... Uh, in our society that you would never think would have an interest in being in in the dark in an old building and and they're there and they're uh, having a unique uh, personal experience with this place the only thing is 
Uh, for me, though, uh, I will tell you this. It does freak me out a little bit. We have some dolls in some of the the, the buildings. Mm-hmm. They really that that's one thing that really kind of gets me, and um, it's just dolls. I'm, I'm they terrify me for some reason, but uh, being in the dark with them really makes me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly uh, I I blame that on years and years of media implanting it into our heads that uh, lots of dolls, dark room, bad idea. Just stay away. Yeah. It's a horror movie trope at this point. I think I'm um, influenced by that also. Absolutely. I, uh, a fun little little side note here. A uh, long time ago, I was working uh, a winter for a fire and water restoration company. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, this uh, doll shop in town caught fire, and we were sent in to assess the situation. I can never tell you, you can go to a lot of haunted places, but you're not going to find anything creepier in your entire life than an entire store full of melted doll faces. Oh my. I still have nightmares to this day. (laughs) That that is no, no good. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I've seen some scary stuff in my career. Nothing (laughs) tops that. I don't think. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, Mike, before we uh, before we wrap it up here, uh, there is one little piece of, of history that I briefly want to touch on because it's eventually what brought me there. And, Absolutely. And that is, you mentioned the the, uh, the jail earlier, which I should note is a charming bed and breakfast now. Um, and very affordable, very nice, very quaint, very quiet. Uh, I highly suggest staying there if you stop by Washington. Go, go on, take a couple of days. You'll have a blast. Um. But the story that led me to Washington is from that building, and that would be the one of Ike. And I was wondering if we could just briefly talk about that, because that's going to be where we're going to be going in this next installment on this series. Absolutely. Um, When uh, the seat of Hempstead was still here in Washington, uh, that was the county jail, as I mentioned earlier, and... um, um, it, 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 I think at the most it would, uh, there would have been at least 15 inmates in there. And, um, it started out as a one story structure. And then later they had an addendum of a second floor added. Um, but 1929, there was a local man by the name of Ike Evans. And, um, he was accused of some very nefarious deeds towards a young lady. And also, um, he was incarcerated for other charges as well. But um, he was held in that building for about three weeks. And um, uh, we've got primary sources from the the Gazette and Little Rock uh, talking about this incident that, um, well... He was up there for about three weeks, and also there's been stories told that the sheriff would come in, he'd hear him pacing back and forth. Uh, one day he didn't hear him pacing, and he goes upstairs, and Mr. Evans had evidently taken a uh, some cordage about two foot long, and he had wrapped it around his neck and then hung himself uh, from the bar of the window. And um, uh, he had also left nine letters, uh, and they were to different people. And he was protesting his innocence and that he would never go to the penitentiary. 
and um, over the years, people that have lived there, um, they believe uh, when they were living there, and it wasn't a jail, it was a bed and breakfast uh, in the past and some belonging to some private citizens. Oh, really? Uh, so it's been a bed and breakfast more than once then? <laughs> absolutely. Okay. It's been a bed and breakfast. This is the third time. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But uh, th- they have talked about Mr. Evans being there. Um, and then uh, currently, you know, with uh, it being a and b now, uh, we have had visitors um, to go there. And they say that they, they can feel things, you know, that he is still present there. And um, I, I, I know a, a group of ladies that stayed there one time and, they're really big into research into the unknown and um, they had, you know, some modern equipment and uh, things that are used today to measure temperature. Um, They did recordings. They also did um, something that's called the Estes method. I use that Uh, method myself quite a bit. Yeah. And um, a lot of them have said that, um, Ike is still there, and there's one lady in particular that uh, lives in the region, and she comes here at least twice a year, and she says that she's always making contact with him. And um, so I don't know. I, I mean, I've really never experienced personally myself, anything in there myself. Now, um, other buildings, I've had some creepy feelings come over me and I've, you know, heard some things and stuff, but, um, a lot of people, uh, have come to me have, and told me about, you know, feeling things on their face, potential (laughs) interactions with, with Ike. Um, well, you know, you know, and I can say that I, uh, personally had some experiences while staying there and we'll, we'll tackle that in the, the next episode. Um, uh, but it's definitely an intriguing story, and I'm, I'm gonna we're we're gonna hold it off there because I'm not gonna explain why this is potentially intriguing until next mm-hmm. episode. That's right, we're gonna leave you with a cliffhanger, folks. <laughs> I'm just sinister like that. But Mike, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come out and and join me for this conversation. It's so good to see you. Uh, I know that you folks can't see it, but I get to see my friend's face. So uh, thank you so much for joining me, and thank you for all of your input. Before we start wrapping up here, is there anything that uh, we should talk about regarding the park? Um, anything else we need to cover? Uh, well, I, I would just suggest coming out to Historic Washington uh, if you're ever here in this region uh, and experience, you know, some of what we have, the, these resources, uh, these homes, uh, also the history itself. Um, and Arkansas has some of the best state parks in my opinion, in the nation. Yeah, no argument there. Yeah, uh, But there's very few history parks that we have. A lot of them are are nature parks. But uh, our park is a history park, and we have a unique uh, ability to try and connect our resources with our visitors in a way that is informative and also memorable, and uh, it can make a personal connection uh, with the visitor themselves. And we also have special events. 
uh, like in uh, December, if you're if you like Christmas, we have a program called Christmas and Candlelight. There's a lot of preparation for this program. It's where the whole town is basically uh, decorated in period decor. We have carolers out. We have luminaries by the thousands set out, and um, we celebrate Christmas during that time as it would have been done in the 19th century. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of work. We make almost 300 Christmas wreaths <laughs> out of cedar. And let me tell you, when it's done, we, I don't want to smell any cedar after that. <laughs> we just got through with our Jonquil Festival, and um, that's usually held in March. Now what is and, that? Uh, Jonquil Festival. And um, we had it, I think it was the 17th, 18th, and 19th of this of March. And um, throughout the park, there are thousands of daffodils and jonquils, which are these little yellow flowers that are in the Narcissus family. And um, over a period of time, they spread, and, then pe- and people have planted them. And many years ago, a festival started, and uh, it's just grown and grown and grown. Usually, we have vendors that are selling craft wares from uh, neighboring states and also within Arkansas. And then we have programming going on as well at the blacksmith shop. We have blacksmiths down there munching on iron, as we call it. <laughs> it's, it's just a really unique time in the spring to uh, experience, you know, the flowers as well. But if you have allergies, you better bring your your Allegra. Or yeah, you can bring your Zyrtec or whatever, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's it sounds like you guys have uh, something truly spectacular planned for almost every season uh, throughout the year. So um, is, it, is there a calendar on the website that lists all of these? Absolutely. You can go to our uh, webpage at arkansasstateparks.com and there you can look up any of our state parks and there will be a calendar of events and it may not be for the whole year it may go to a certain term but um, if you're looking for something fun educational or just wanting to find some peace uh, we have so many state parks here in Arkansas that you can find that at one other thing I'd like to add if you ever want to come out here and be a part of the magic that we have here, we do have a volunteer program. And if there's a special event that you want to be a part of, you can contact the park at 870-983-2684 and contact our volunteer coordinator. And then we could dress you up and put you in a hoop skirt for the women. <laughs> dress you up in some civilian uh, wear with a cravat for a male. But um, anyway, it's, it's, it's a fun thing to do. And when you immerse yourself with the clothing also and you become part of a program, it also gives you another outlook and perspective of what we have here too. I, I can actually see that. I was actually lucky enough to experience the carolers this year just you know, out of the blue, two hours after I show up, I'm alone in this uh, four-bedroom bed and breakfast, all to myself, and these carolers just walk in and start singing, and it was uh, surreal and, and heartwarming, to be honest. I love it. 
Well, Mike, it's uh, this has been such a pleasure. It's so good to see you. So good to talk to you again. Um, I cannot wait to make it back out there. Uh, personally, I feel pretty drawn to the area. So XV Planets as a whole, the team will probably be making several trips out there over the next couple of years, and hopefully be able to develop a, a better relationship with. Uh, uh, with the locals, because we would really like to do some research there ourselves. Absolutely, and you know, we'd love to have you back here and and your group, and uh, you're always welcome here at Historic Washington. We certainly feel that way. Wait, wait, before we wrap this up, what's the name of that one restaurant that's that's right next to the? Yes, we have a restaurant here at Historic Washington State Park. It's called Williams Tavern. And uh, get the turkey sandwich. Just, just get the yeah. turkey sandwich. <laughs> oh my! Or the Bowie Burger. I'll get that next <laughs> time I go. But I'm also a sucker for like homemade um, preserves and and jams and things like that. And oh my god, there were some good ones. I still, I've, I've got like a whole grocery bag full of them. I cleaned well, house. Some, <laughs> some of that stuff so good it'll make your toes curl under. Very much so. <laughs> yeah. All right, Mike. Thank you again. Uh, we'll be sure to have links for everything in the show notes. Uh, again, I encourage everyone to go out to Washington State Park. Uh, go look up Mike here. He's, he's going to be more than happy to talk about uh, the history of the town. You know what? You don't even have to go for the spooky reasons that I do. Uh, just go for a break. It's peaceful. It's quiet. It's serene. And it's, it's gorgeous out there. It really is. All right. Thank you, Mike. Absolutely. Thank you so much, John. I'd like to thank Michael Terrell for joining me tonight to dive into the history of Arkansas's Washington State Park. Be sure to check out the links in the show notes to learn more and, as I'd suggest, maybe plan a visit. Be sure to join us again in two weeks when research associate Jamie Patterson returns to discuss our investigation of this quaint, hidden slice of American history. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everywhere as XV Planus, and you can follow my personal misadventures and music projects at Folds and Floods on those same platforms. Links for both are in the show notes as well. If you like what we do here, head on over to iTunes or Spotify to rate and especially review us, and tell your friends about us, tell your families about us, hell, yell at random people at the bus stop about us. We are a DIY independent production, and the only way that we will grow is by you sharing us with others who you might think enjoy taking this trip. Once again, you can support us by going to www.patreon.com xvplanus and subscribing to gain access to our exclusive content. Be sure to check out all of the great shows on the Green Mushroom Podcast Network, like Luxicult, Primordia, Unearthing Paranormalcy, and more. The show is produced wherever and whenever it can be, and it is written, edited, and scored by yours truly. Music from the show can be found on my Bandcamp page for Folds and Floods or anywhere you stream your music. High praise and thanks to Sonny and Ren for our updated logo, and many thanks and mad love to Meg who manages most of our social media. No part of this show or its music may be reproduced without consent. Copyright Folds and Floods Productions. Once again, I am your host, Flood, and this has been XV Planets. Thank you for being a part of the journey so far, and I'll see you in the between. In abambratio, in fluctus, sub velo. <laughs>